Glory to God. Tonight, if you have your books with you, we're going to be getting into the message called The Credit of Righteousness. It is just a one-page um, message, but it's deep. One of my favorite messages to preach, but I guess I'll have to say all of these messages we've been doing on Wednesday nights is my favorite messages to preach. Amen? Okay, so glory to God. We're going we're gonna to go ahead and jump right in. Glad everyone is here. And uh, praise God, we got the recording going, so we'll be uh, getting that on our, on our app and our website as well. If you don't have the River of Life app, you can get that at the App Store, and we're doing a whole new Go Deep Grace series on it for pastors in Africa and other places as well. So this message starts out in Romans chapter 3 in verse 20, Romans 3.20. First few verses, just a little bit of review, and then we get into what God has for us tonight. Hallelujah. How many brought your Bible? Let me see those Bibles. Just hold them up a minute. Amen? How many got your notebook? You bring your pen? You bring your brain? Ready to think? Ready to study? Good. Good. Glory to God. Romans 3, 20. Therefore... Now no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So there it is, praise God, that is the, the purpose of the law. So we can say, in looking at that verse and understanding what it means, we can say that the purpose of the law was not to make you righteous. Okay? And following all the law, all of the law, trying to follow the law, trying to obey the commandments, trying to follow the Old Testament to the T of all the commands, it says right here, will not make you righteous. Amen? Amen. See, that's kind of, you know, if you, you read the Bible and look at it and think about what it's saying, it says things that's sometimes different than what we've thought it said all along. But if you listen by the Holy Spirit and look at it again, it says right there, no one will be declared righteous by observing the law. So that shows us that anyone trying to be righteous by obeying a code of law or religion or rules or regulations, it won't work. Okay? And we understood that in the first message of, um, praise God, we saw that in the message of the big picture, God's grand plan, you know, trying to obey the law, and, you know, and uh, hey, the flood itself didn't work, and then obeying, trying to obey the commands of uh, Moses in the Old Testament all through the history of Israel, it didn't work for them. Okay, they tried and tried. So no one will be declared righteous by observing the law. But rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Hey, I love God's law. God's law is holy. God's law is righteous. But its purpose is not to make you righteous. Its purpose is to show us our sin. Okay, so we all kind of got that foundational understanding, the purpose of the law, to point out and show us our sin. It's like two big stone tablets written in stone. It's not flexible. It doesn't yield. It doesn't help you. It just shows you your sin. Okay? So the law points out your sin. It says this is God's holy law, and you need to keep it to be blessed. But then because of our sin nature, we couldn't keep it, and we fell under the curse of breaking the law. See, in order to be blessed under the covenant of law, you had to keep it all. And you had a wonderful, tremendous blessings. But if you break one, you're under the curse of all of the law too. Okay, And so, you know, there was a problem with it. The problem with it wasn't God. New Covenant Hebrews said there was a problem with it. If there was no problem, we wouldn't have need for a better one, a better covenant. But the problem was not God. The problem was man. And the problem we know where was on the inside. It was the nature of man who couldn't do it. So this law shined in the hearts of mankind all over the world. God used Israel and used the law to begin to establish, you know, his glory and reveal himself. And so, man, we can see now, praise God, we fall short of it. So the law's purpose 
is to make us conscious of our sin. It brings us to our knees, finally to the point where we recognize, God, I can't do it. The problem is on the inside. I'm the problem. It's not all the things that happen to me. It's not the world. You know, it's not another country, another government, another race. It's me. The problem's on the inside. Lord, I need to be saved from myself. So there you have it. Praise God. 4,000 years of Old Testament history to bring us to the point to understand this verse. You can't be saved by the law. But we're conscious of our sin. Then it goes on, but the good news is the next verse, but now, everybody say now. now. Hallelujah. Now, a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So now comes a righteousness not from observing a code of religion or laws or rules or regulations, but a righteousness from God comes apart from the law, and it even says the law and the prophets testify about this righteousness that's coming in a new, in living way, praise God. Hallelujah. It goes on to say, look at verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 28. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. So here's the whole you know, Christian doctrine of understanding justification by faith. Everybody say justified. justified. Let me give you a simple de definition. Justified means just as if I'd never done it. You know, I'd like to go to a court case and you got all these things against you. And it gets through and it's, it's wiped out clean just as if you've never done it. Praise God. So we're justified, made right, in right standing with God as though we've never sinned, not by trying to obey and be good, but by our faith in the one who was good. Wow, he did it all. So here we go, justification by faith. Praise the Lord. So now, chapter 4 is going to go into this idea of Romans 3.28, Deeper. Paul is taking this message of justification by faith apart from observing the law in Romans 3.28, and he's explaining this to people, and he's saying in Romans 4, verse 1, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? Okay? So Paul's taking them all the way back to Father Abraham and saying, What did Abraham think about it? Paul has an idea that Abraham knew about this justification by faith long before, okay? So he's telling the Jews and telling everyone, even Abraham thought about this. What did he think about it? Okay, so what, um, what understanding, what verse is he talking about? What did Abraham discover in what matter? In discover the matter of Romans 3.28. We're justified by faith apart from the law. And now he goes into it a little bit and explains. And praise God, I believe... This message is going to explain it to your heart in a way uh, maybe you've never seen before, and it'll never leave you. Amen. I'm speaking that and believing by faith. Hallelujah. We receive this. Father, by the Holy Spirit, just plant this in our hearts and minds and change. Let us see you from a new angle as never before, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. So he goes on and explains. <clears throat> Verse 2. If in fact... Abraham was justified by works. He had something to boast about, but not before God. Okay, let's think about that verse a minute. If you can be justified by your works, your good deeds, your religious works, if you can be justified by quit sinning over here and start doing right over here, and the more you quit sinning and the more you do right, you're doing better and better, then it says you would have something to boast about. And I have found that religious people that think they're justified by their good behavior, they're boastful. I'm more holy than you. You need to quit doing this, that, and the other and come do like me because, you know, hey, here's how you walk holy. So if you think you can be justified by what you do, 
it says then he would have had something to boast about. Okay? But you know, Paul was like, hey, not, not before God. You better not do that. You know? He would have something to boast about if you can be justified by your works. You know, if I ask you how righteous you are, if I ask people in churches around the world to think about it, on a scale of one to a hundred, how righteous are you? And you start to think about it. Well, you know, I'm, I was uh, struggling with this addiction and this adultery and this fornication, this struggle, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm just, I know I'm deserving death in prison, you know, I'm, I'm not even a five, you know, or I'm starting to, you know, trying to do better. I, I quit. I got off of my addiction. I'm starting to go to church. Hey, you know, I consider myself a, I'm a 25 and I'm trying to move on to 40, you know, or, or hey, I've been walking this thing out. I'm a deacon in my church. I'm following all the rules of the church. I'm doing good. I consider myself an 82. I still know I have some weaknesses. But let me change the way you think. If, if, when I ask you how righteous you are, you begin to think about and analyze yourself or how you're doing, then really aren't you self-righteous? Let that sink in. If I ask you how righteous you are, and you analyze yourself and how you're doing, then that is self-righteousness. Righteousness in your own self and how you're doing. Can you take how you're doing, your self-righteousness, and bring it to God and say, look what I have done? I am doing better now? You know? So, really... What he's talking about, we're justified by faith, not in our works of righteousness, but our faith in Jesus Christ, someone else. Now, Jesus Christ, praise God, hung on the cross and said, to tell us thy it is finished, he fulfilled all righteousness. All the righteousness requirements of the law was fulfilled not in you and I, but in him. And when I received him, he took my sinful nature, put it on his cross, and I died with him, was buried, and I was risen from the grave, not with my righteousness, but with his so I stand before you today, hallelujah, 100% righteous and holy, confident that I'm 100% righteous and holy, because it's not my righteousness I'm claiming, it's His. You see, true righteousness in this Christian walk is a gift that you cannot earn. Now, he takes it a little deeper and he begins to explain this in the next few verses. So Paul is explaining this righteousness. What does the Scripture say? Verse 3. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was credited or imparted unto him as righteousness. Abraham believed God and he was made righteous. So how was Abraham, the father of our faith, how was he made righteous? By faith, by believing God. God spoke to Abraham and said, Abram, I want you to leave your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, your cousins, your religion, all the way you used to do life. I want you to lay it all down. I don't care how loyal you've been to your family, your religion, or anything else. I'm telling you, I want you to lay it down and come with me. Now, it says Abraham believed God. When God spoke to him, his word was speaking. And we know in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when God was speaking to Abraham, his word was coming out, and his word is Jesus. So when Abraham was believing the word, he was believing in Jesus. Jesus is the Word, the living Word. Amen? Amen? So Abraham, the Old Testament saints get saved the same way we do, by believing in the Word of God. They were believing in the Word who was to come. We believe in the Word who came, died, and rose again. Amen? Amen. 
and he's still alive among us. Amen? So Abraham believed God. Now, how do we know that he believed God? God told Abraham, leave your father, mother, leave everything and go to a land I'm going to show you. But where is it, God? What's it going to look like? Where is it going? Where's the man? Uh Uh-uh. You just start going and I'm going to show you as you go. How do we know Abraham believed? Because he went. If If he said yes, yes, God, and didn't go, we know he really didn't believe it. Amen? He believed God and he went. So Paul is explaining this. Abraham was given the credit of righteousness. Now let me explain that a little bit. This word credit or the word imparted unto him, okay, it's like an, it's an accounting term. It's like an accountant. If any of you had bookkeeping or accounting, you know, you open the books and on one side you have the debts that you owe. On the other side you have the credits that have been applied to your account, you know, and you balance the books. Okay, you have to balance the books of your credit and your debts. Well, he was given the credit of righteousness. His debts was paid by the blood of Jesus, and he was given the credit of righteousness. Amen. And that credit was more than all his debts. Okay, so he's got a a clean slate there with righteousness to his credit. You open his book and it's righteousness in his credit. Understand? Praise God. It goes on to say, Paul's explaining it a little deeper now. Verse 4. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. Now, if you guys get a job and happen to find one, you're making $10 an hour, and I use that because it makes for easy math for me, and you're working 40 hours, Friday comes along, it's payday, and you have done your job. You've been there on time. You didn't, you know, slip around the corner while you're supposed to be working. You've been faithful. You've been diligent. You've done your work. You've done what they've asked you to do, okay? And you've worked that 40 hours and done what your boss has asked you. At the end of the week, when you get your paycheck, is that considered a gift or an obligation? It's an obligation because it is owed to you because you earned it. So Paul is using this practical, simple language explaining something to us in the Bible. This is not some old dusty book that's something far away. This is about today's living. Okay? So you work for it. It's an obligation. It's not a gift. So why is Paul bringing this up in the Word today? Well, it's obvious. He's saying if you work for it, it's not a gift. Now verse 5, he's comparing this. He's trying to show show us about our salvation. However... To the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. So if you work for it, you earn it. And if you work and say, hey, I quit this sin, I quit this sin, I'm starting to go to church, I'm reading my Bible, Lord, I'm doing better. Now, God, I'm coming to you. Look, I've cleaned up and here I am. I'm a good guy now. I'm ready for you to save me. Look how good I'm doing. Uh Uh-uh. It says God doesn't justify the person who's working for it and thinks you can earn it. It says, who does God justify? He justifies the wicked. He justifies the ungodly. He can't justify you if you're self-righteous, thinking you're godly, thinking you've done enough to earn it, and now you're ready to be good. The Bible says, Paul is explaining here, It's righteousness is a gift that cannot be earned. You can't come to God with your goodness and saying, look, God, I'm doing good. I deserve to be a Christian now. What you bring him, what you bring him is not your goodness. You bring him your ungodliness, your sin. That is the exchange we bring. We we bring our sin And we recognize I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, I see from your word that while I was yet a sinner, you loved me. I bring you. The law has shown me. The truth of your word has shown me. The problem I have is not my sins, but it's on the inside. It's me. The problem is on the inside. It's my sin nature. Now, Lord God, I bring you my sin, man, and believing that he died for it. 
He'll take your sin and he'll give you a gift for your sin. You get a gift. You get his righteousness. What a deal, man. Your sin for his righteousness. That's why we call it the good news. The gospel of his grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. I've heard it explained and like to use this. Mercy is not getting the judgment and the punishment we deserve. If you're going to court and you're facing a judge, you know, you want mercy. You don't want the punishment you deserve, okay? It's better to go for mercy than to try to swing a case and say you didn't do it. It might be better to admit it instead of trying to pay some high-flung lawyer to uh, argue your case and lie to your judge. Better to humble yourself and just admit you did wrong and you asking for mercy for what you've done because you deserve it. Put it in God's hands rather than your own. Can I help anybody here? Okay, we've got lots of court cases coming up. Okay, it's better to do that. Present it to God. All right, so mercy, mercy is not getting the judgment that you deserve. Grace is getting the blessing you don't deserve. Praise God when this light shined in my heart. Hallelujah. It's like mercy came down and kissed me on one cheek and grace on the other. And I've never been the same since, man. Hallelujah. Instead of getting judgment, praise God, I got mercy. Hallelujah. Instead of getting, not getting good, I got the goodness of God I didn't deserve. Why? Because Jesus won us for us and he bought the ticket with his own blood and he gave it to me as a gift. It's a gift. That praise God we don't deserve, but we receive by faith in what he has done. Now, praise God. Let's go on. You know, I only want to try to get to verse 8. My favorite. I want to explain that in a deep way, okay? So, he talks about Abraham, and he says, However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked... His faith is credited as righteousness. Now Paul wants to go deeper. So instead of just mentioning Abraham, now he's going to mention, what did David say about it? He said, Abraham talked about it. Now David talked about it in the Psalms. David, praise God, you know, by the Holy Spirit, wrote a lot of the Psalms. And here he says, what did David say? Verse 6, David says the same thing that Abraham said. When he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Now he's going to quote the Psalms, verse 7 and 8, or Psalms from the book of Psalms that Paul is quoting in Romans. He says, blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Amen. So even the psalmist was writing that, hey, one day your transgressions can be completely forgiven and your sins completely covered. Now watch this, my favorite, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Verse 8. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Amen. Let's um, pause on that. Let's meditate on it. Let's take it in. Not just reading over the Bible, we're going to look at it and ask the Holy Spirit to speak it and write it on the tablets of our heart. Blessed is the man, there's no gender in this, he's talking about mankind, this is man and woman, amen? amen. Blessed are the people, blessed is the man whose sin is never imputed, never counted, never in the books of the credit or debit or credit or you know what you owe it's never written in your account your sin is never counted against you Amen. let's think about this wait a minute how can this be possible that you know we're living this life we believe in Jesus but we know you know we believe and we're saved we got this righteousness but you know we still live in a fallen world and we have this treasure of this holy righteousness in this earthen vessel that still has a mind that's not renewed yet, still has habits, still have old ways of thinking, old way of doing things. We live in a fallen world. There's still some struggles. And we still miss the mark sometimes. We sin. But the Bible says, 
Blessed is the man or woman whose sin is never counted against you. How can this be? Are you saying never counted? Wait a minute. Lord, and he began to reveal to us through this word who that man is. And I found out, praise God, the man whose sin is never counted ever is me. <laughs> it's me. Hallelujah. It's me. I'm the man. I'm the man. Hallelujah. It's me. I'm the man. Sin never counts. Wow, Lord. That's cool. You're talking about me here? You'll never count my sin against me? Wow. Anyone who has received Christ as your Savior, sin will never be counted against you again. No, wait a minute. This is deep. This is deep. Because if the word says your sin is never counted, if it's not counted, then it can't be judged. Is it in the word? God is a righteous and holy judge. Injustice must happen. He can't just sweep sin under the rug and ignore it as though it didn't. He's a righteous, holy judge. And the penalty for sin is death. You see, the reason this applies to me, because all of my sin, even if I sin today, tomorrow, or struggle in the future, my sin was paid for 2,000 years ago by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And the precious blood of Christ was so good to telesty, it is finished forever. It paid my sin yesterday, today, and forever. So that is the reason my sin never counts against me. It never counts against me because it's already paid for. Wow. This is, it's like almost too good to be true. Wow. How can this work? Blessed is the man whose sin never counts. Well, I want to do a little demonstration so you can understand. And I think I'd like to use this tall man on the front right here. Do you mind? Come. Okay. Stand before them. Okay, Jimmy is going to be a balance scale. Okay? He's a balance scale, and he puts these hands out. And here is a plate, and here's another. Okay, many of you, have you seen a balance scale? Okay, we go to Africa, and we go to the market, and we know, you know, you, buy, you put your amount of beans over here, and something else over here, and when it balances out, you know, you got the right amount. Okay, a balance scale. I know there's lots of digital scales these days for things y'all were involved in. Okay, but we're not, you know, can you think of it a balance scale? All right, now watch this. The Bible says, the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you know how a scale works. If this side goes down, you stand up straight, just let your arm go down. All right? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen? Okay? So if all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, now it says the penalty, the wages of sin, is death. So how do you pay for your sin? By death. The only penalty for sin in the Word is death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. But religion teaches, all religions try to teach, if I do good works and I do enough good, and by the end of my life, if I do a little more good than bad, I can balance my bad out. And if I get 51% more good than bad, I can make it to karma or wherever they think they're going. Okay? So, most religion is in a never-ending cycle of trying to earn their way and do good enough and cover what they've done wrong and ease their own conscience for their wrongdoing by trying to do right. Okay? 
But there's something wrong with that. I wrote the verse down for you in Isaiah. The Bible says, in light of God's holiness, all of your religious works, all of your works is like filthy rags compared to God's holiness. Now I looked up that word in the Hebrew, filthy rags in the Old Testament. And it actually means, and we're adults here, we can handle this. It actually means menstrual rags. In the Old Testament, there was a picture of being clean or unclean. And a woman in her cycle, the rags had to leave the camp. Any issue of blood in a man or woman had to leave. They were unclean until it was cleansed and come back in. So the Bible says, if you think you can earn this righteousness by doing good, it is like taking filthy, bloody menstrual rags and putting it over here to give to God to pay for your sin. Now look, some of, if you're religious in here and mad that I said that, it's in the Word. Get over yourself. Okay? It's a picture that's ugly that we want to paint in your mind till the next time you think you can earn your righteousness. That's why he put it in there. Now, if you, if you have a, uh, a mortgage and you're trying to pay your rent, trying to pay your house and with a bank, and your mortgage is, say, $500 a month, and you don't have it that month, but you had a little summer garden and you got some squash and peas, can you bring your banker some good squash and peas to pay your mortgage that month? Is the, is the penalty, the payment that you owe... Squash and peas? Or is it $500? In the same way, the payment for our sin is not good works. You can't earn your way out of this. The only payment is death. Now here's why this demonstration is for this word tonight, this teaching. Blessed is the man whose sin is never counted. Here's why it works. It's never counted. Because 2,000 years ago, God so loved the world, He had this plan all along that He sent His one and only Son, the Word of God, and He became flesh, and He lived the sinless life, and He fulfilled the law, and after He fulfilled the law, He became your part of the covenant that we broke, and if you break it you deserve to die and he became that for us he became the curse of the law and he went on the tree and he was beaten and he was bloodied and he put his blood his death his burial on this side to pay for the sin of the world and when his blood went on this side it tipped the scale on your behalf forever stay right there now it tipped the scale on your behalf forever. But I've got to take it deeper so we understand. If I've received the blood of Jesus and God accepted the blood as payment for your sin, why do you think that God's still punishing you for your sin? Are you saying that the blood of his son Jesus wasn't good enough and God put you in jail for your sin or God made your child sick for your sin or God is not letting you get that job for your sin? No! If you're thinking God's judging you for your sin, then the payment of Jesus Christ wasn't good enough for you. If you're struggling with situations in the world and you've been, you know, stolen, cheat, lie, it's not God that's doing it. It's the enemy. You can choose to walk in the blessing of God or you can walk out here and open the door for the thief to steal, kill, and destroy. God's not doing it. That's the enemy. Okay? He paid for your sin and you're doing good. Stay strong. He paid for your sin once and for all. Now, here's the kicker. Watch this. If in the weaknesses of my flesh or my unrenewed, my mind's not completely renewed, or you're struggling with things in this fallen world, if you miss the mark in sin today, whatever it might be, does your sin outweigh the blood? No. Will your sin today, if you struggle and have a fall, will your sin tip the scale back where you're not saved again? No. Will your sin tip the scale where the blood didn't work? No. Will, can you be saved born again by the blood, and then when your sin 
Now you're not right with God. You got to go to the next spring revival, get saved again, and die again, and get saved again. Can a man? Can a man be born again again? No. Let 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 folk let folks think. Is it possible to be born of Adam with a sin nature? Give your life to Christ. Have that nature of Adam be circumcised out of you, put on the cross, buried with Christ, you resurrected as a new person in Christ, and then when you're sin, you're now born of Adam again, and then when you repent, you're born of Christ again, and then you're born of Adam again, and you're back and forth and back and forth. It's not really about you. It's about Him. Jesus paid the price once and for all, and your sin is not heavier than His blood. Wow. Question. If we sin today, does it move the scale this much? Does it move it this much? Does it move it at all? Hallelujah. Let's give our balance scale guy a hand. You can be seated. Thank you. Hallelujah. Now, this is, um, it's not a new message or new word or different word in the church from 2,000 years ago. This is the gospel. This is the truth of his grace. This is what's been in there all along. Romans 4.8 has always been there. Blessed is the man whose sin never counts. I'm not make, it's not some new religion, some new teaching. It's always been there. But see, there's so much power to it. Satan couldn't defeat the church straight up. So he can to come into it and try to tweak it a little, try to put in some lies, try to, you know, uh, make things different where the church has been hearing a word that we're always a sinner and always under guilt and shame. And we, you know, we're always struggling. We're back and forth, back and forth. When Jesus did this once and for all, and you can see how that works. So now I want to tell you there's one more um, scale in your book, and I want to show you that a minute. Let's suppose that this is the entrance to heaven. You've all heard maybe some jokes that say, you know, you get to the pearly gates and Peter's standing there, whether or not you're going to get let in or not. Okay? It's not the way it is, but it'll work good for this analogy, all right? So here's the entrance to heaven. And uh, there's a long line standing down the aisle, and there's the pearly gates. And Peter comes out, and to get in, there's a scale. You ever seen a scale you step on, and then it has a big circle up here, and it has a needle, and it weighs you? How many hope we don't have to get weighed to go in, huh? <laughs> Amen. Only this scale is not weighing your weight. This scale is weighing your righteousness. And it goes from zero, you know, it goes, hey, not too good, you know, hey, getting a little better here or there. And then over here is a mark that says perfection, okay? And there's a long line trying to get in, and everyone's stepping on the scale, and there's a wide variety of how the needle moves. Some, wow, it's looking like it's going, Man, they've lived a good life, done a lot of good works, but it stops a little short of the mark. Perfection to get in. Without holiness, no one will see God. Wow, that's tough. That's bad news. And so they're standing in line, and they're worried, and they're struggling, and they're doubtful, and they're fearful. And man, I'm in line over here, and I'm smiling. And I got a peace about me, and I got a joy, and I got faith, and I know I'm going in. But see, here's what happens. I get up to the scale, 
and I stand before it. And before I step on it to measure my righteousness, the Son of the living God who's seated at the right hand of the throne steps up from his seat and he comes down and he says, Peter, this one's with me. And he stands on it for me. Hallelujah! And the scale goes to perfection and His righteousness was given to me, imparted into me as a gift I didn't deserve. So I'm going on His ticket. My faith is not in my religion. My faith is not in my works. My faith is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. So I can be confident of who I am in Christ. And now, over 30 years, I've been renewing my mind to the truth of what's in my spirit, and now I actually think this way. I believe I'm righteous. I don't have a sin conscious anymore. I'm more conscious of my righteousness than of my sin. Woo! What a cool way to live. I'm conscious that God loves me and He's with me and I'm secure in my relationship with God not based on how I'm doing, it's based on how Christ did. Wow, what good news. So, let me take it a little. Can we go deeper? We're going to go a little deeper. In reality, it's my turn to get on the scale. But instead of Jesus having to get off the right hand of God and come stand for me. See, he already did that 2,000 years ago. I can stand on this scale myself and it goes to perfection, righteous, because his righteousness is in me. And my sin is not there. Even the sins I might be struggling with now is not counted in his book, is not held in my account, is not remembered by God, the new covenant. I will see the old covenant said, you shall don't do this. You shall not. You shall. You shall not. The new covenant in Hebrews says, I will, I will, I will. You see, I will remember your sins no more. So when I get on the scale, there's no sin for him to judge me or to throw that needle back because God will remember my sins no more. Wow. The credit of righteousness. Now I know what's happening in a lot of people's minds and I'm going to help you with it. Okay? Praise God. So a lot would ask this question at this point. Not only here, but wherever we go teaching this truth, and really wherever Paul went teaching it. Pastor, are you saying that our sin doesn't count and God doesn't judge us for our sin and he'll never count it? I'm not really saying it. I'm, saying, I'm just repeating what God said. He said it. So, Pastor, if this is true that our sin doesn't count and he never judges us, then... Grace comes up over the sin. What shall we do? Shall we go sin so grace can abound more? What shall we do? Shall, shall we sin more now? Do you know they asked Paul the same question? And he said, God forbid. No, that's not the answer. I'll show you this. Let me ask you. You just heard this good news. You just saw it. You participated in it. Does this good news, are you a believer? Have you given your life to Christ? Have your sins been washed away? That, that it'll never count again, even if you mess up in sin, and he'll never judge you for it. Does that make you want to go sin? Does it make any of you want to go sin? Because he washed your sin forever? I've never found anybody that said, yes, I want to go sin now. The message of grace doesn't give people a license to sin as the religious people 
complain. The message of grace empowers you to live a holy life. Because now you're secure in who you are in Christ. The message of grace, it is the grace of God. Praise God. Let's turn to it. Your last verse in this scripture, here, in this message here, Titus. Okay, Titus chapter 2. Many, many, many have criticized the truth of His grace. And wow, I'm okay with uh, folks who are not understanding. So we need to just explain a little deeper. Pastor, when you say He'll never count your sin, are you making light of sin? And I'll turn to that man and say, sir, by the authority of God, no, but you are making light of the blood. The criticizers of the teaching of grace are criticizing the blood and saying it's not good enough. Let that sink in. Everywhere Paul went and preached this, they asked that question. What then? Shall we sin? So I want to be preaching it, and I want you to be ministering it and sharing it with your kids and family so radical that people will ask that question. Are you given too much grace? If they're not asking that, you're not preaching it like Paul. I want to preach it like Paul. Radical. Because I know it works. I know the truth of Christ works. And fear of the law doesn't. Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It, what it? It, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodly, ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, and, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So it's the grace message, the gospel of grace that we get right with God by our faith, not by our works, that changes us from the inside once and for all, hallelujah, that we're in Christ now. It's that understanding that will keep you living godly life. Amen. Guys, so many we teach and preach to pastors, leaders, here in this truth of new covenant grace, he has made you competent as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter of the law, but the spirit of the new covenant, not of the old. You see, in the old covenant, they were motivated to do right by fear of judgment. Think about it. They were motivated. They're trying to do right and obey and keep the law because if they break it, they're judged with death. Okay? Fear from, getting, from doing your... Um, wrongdoing and breaking the law and having a you know police come after you and want to put you in jail fear of going back to jail or being judged might have caused you to hide your sin a little better so fear works in a way but it won't change your heart it is the message of grace that god loved you while you're a sinner and he took your sin and gave you his righteousness and accepted you into his family that's what will motivate you to want to live right. Amen. Amen. Now, I love all the preachers around who love Jesus. I love, man, if they're preaching Jesus died on the cross and rose again, and if they don't understand this teaching, and they're trying to motivate their people to live holy by always fussing about their sin and telling them how bad they are, bless their hearts, they're trying to get the people to live right. It's just they don't know any better, and their way doesn't work, and this does. I'm not a, I'm unapologetic to, to declare truth. Hey, Jesus and Paul rebuked the religious and reached out to the sinner. I like to do the same thing. Hallelujah. And I'm free to do it. Hey, I've broken free from denomination and religious rules and I can just teach truth and not have to worry about it. Hallelujah. How, what, what it is good to be free. Glory to God. I'm, yeah, hey, good. Thank you, Matt. I'm going to stand fast in my liberty wherewith Christ has set me free, and I'll be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Many people think that verse is talking about being entangled with the yoke of sin. No, it's being entangled with the yoke of religion again. 
I'm going to stand fast in my liberty and the truth of his grace, and I'm not going back to be entangled with the yoke of the law. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. You have seen and heard this truth now. We've gone, gone over the scriptures. Praise the Lord. You've seen the two scales. I just pray and believe it's going to resonate in your heart. You see, Jesus, when he came up out of the water, when he was baptized, heavens opened and God said, this is my beloved son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. Okay, so Jesus, this is before he did anything. Before he started preaching, before he did any miracles, he was just being baptized, getting ready to go out into the ministry. And God said, you're my son, beloved son, and I'm well pleased with you. You see, Christians, God is pleased with you, not because of what you do, but because of who you are. And when you receive that, and you know you're in his family, it is that that gave Jesus the power to go into the wilderness for 40 days and be tempted by the devil over and over and win. Not because he was afraid of judgment, but because he knew he was loved. Right, we want to share the love of Christ with you so much that you know you're loved, you see the love of God, you accept it and receive what he's done, you become secure in his love, and you're motivated to live for him because you know you're loved, Amen. not because you're afraid of judgment. Amen. Father, we thank you and praise you for the truth of your word. We thank you how clear and simple you have made it in your word. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that the truth of your grace goes to every nation, every tongue, every church. Lord God, we agree with your word that the Holy Spirit is leading the body of Christ into all truth. This is a foundational teaching of righteousness that we can go on further with you and the glory of the Lord is going to fill the whole earth. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.